The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ happened. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man and yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took his wife into his home. The Gospel of the Lord. We know that God is always present to his creation. So much so that if he were not directly present to each element of it and did not directly will its existence, it would cease to exist. You and I would pass into nothingness. That's something we know. I doubt that we have much feeling about that, although if we thought about it for a while, we might. But God doesn't very often dramatically enter into his creation. Once in a while, he will, rarely. But when he does, there's usually shock, naturally, whether he comes himself or whether he sends an angel. The word, remember, angelus means messenger. Shock, fear, confusion, sometimes objection, and even complaint. We see that in salvation history. Abraham, for instance. Abraham was shocked. He was frightened. He didn't understand the message that God gave him. He objected and he complained, wondering how this was going to happen. 
And of course, we hear the words over and over again, fear not. But in the end, Abraham embraced his mission, even though he didn't fully understand it. We see the same thing with Moses. The burning bush, Moses is at first surprised, curious, then frightened. And then he complains, or rather he objects. How can I go to Pharaoh? He won't listen to me. God says, yes, I will give you the authority. And he further objects. I'm a man of halting speech. Moses stuttered. And God says, oh, never mind. If you have to speak, Aaron will speak for you. And Moses overcame his fear and his confusion and embraced what God had called him to do and to be. Gideon. Gideon was shocked, frightened, thought he would die because he had seen the angel of the Lord. And then he complains. He objects, too. I am the least of all my family, and my family is the least in all of Israel. He says, no, go and do what I've told you to do. And God continues to test Gideon over and over again. He has an army of, I think, roughly 30,000 men. God says, let the cowards go home. Send them home. 20,000 left. Sounds like the church today sometimes, doesn't it? And God isn't satisfied. He said, no, no, you still have too many. Uh, When you're crossing the river, separate those who kneel down to drink and those who simply scoop up the water in their hands. Take them, 300, and with 300, you will conquer. The prophets, the prophets have constant fear and anxiety, it would seem. Isaiah, Isaiah objects because of his own sinfulness. Now, that's a good reason. He said, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips, living amongst a people of unclean lips. And so God sends an angel, a seraph, with a burning coal to cleanse his lips and to cleanse him from his sin. In the old mass, before the gospel, the priest would say a prayer, was, cleanse my heart and my lips as you cleanse the lips of the prophet Isaiah with a burning coal. Today it's a much simpler prayer. Almighty God, cleanse my heart and my lips that I may worthily proclaim your holy gospel. We're still asking the Lord to cleanse our lips. And Isaiah then embraces his mission, finally. Jeremiah? Jeremiah doesn't want it either. Uh, He's frightened. Again, the words, fear not, fear not. We need to hear those words too, don't we? Um, He says, I'm too young. God says, say not, I am too young. Whomever I send you, you will go. Whatever I tell you to say, you will say. Jeremiah reluctantly embraces it, although he keeps on complaining But in the end, he accepts it, whatever it might be, with all the suffering that comes with it. He dies in exile. We don't know what happened to him, even. And then, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah first won't believe, and he's struck dumb, mute. But they eventually embrace it, too. They're frightened and confused with the words from the angel, fear not. Elizabeth, it seems, accepts it much more easily than Zachary did. And then, finally, the Blessed Mother. She is the perfect acceptance. The announcement comes to her. She doesn't understand either. She's confused. But not unlike Zachary, she doesn't doubt. She simply wants information. How? And the answer only intensifies the confusion. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. 
whatever that means. But her response is immediate and total. Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done unto me as you say. And today we have St. Joseph, that silent man. Uh, he is an example to all of us. I remember when, I, um, when we opened the Adoration Chapel at Lourdes, we had, only had a statue of the Blessed Mother there. People kept coming to me and saying, shouldn't we have St. Joseph in there too? Because the fathers need somebody, as an example. St. Joseph, all of a sudden, has to deal with the shock that the woman to whom he is betrothed is with child. What must he have thought? What were his feelings, as they would say today, about that? He must have been incredibly confused, angry perhaps, certainly frightened at what this might mean. What does he do now with this woman he thought was perfect and, as a matter of fact, was and is? He doesn't know what to do. He decides to divorce her quietly. That was the kindest thing he could have done. Remember, he had three choices. He could divorce her quietly. He could send her to Jerusalem for a trial by ordeal. She could drink poison, and if she lived, she was innocent. If she died, she was guilty. Or he could strangle her himself with the help of one close friend. He does the, he does the righteous thing. And all of a sudden, he has an appearance. But it's not a direct one. For St. Joseph's is only in dreams. He never has a direct appearance, as did the Blessed Mother and Zachary. It's in a dream, an angel. And the angel tells him, he says, Do not be afraid, again, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. And again, the answer, or the reason, is he only intensifies the confusion. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. Does he know what that means? No. We can't quite grasp it. The Blessed Mother couldn't. And he then tells him, this is the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah, that you will name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, here comes the beauty of St. Joseph, and what should be the beauty of what, for all of us. Um, when Joseph awoke, Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife into his home. St. Joseph is always completely obedient. At that moment... He doesn't put things off. You and I then have to deal with this too, since the call of God is in each one of our lives, although not with that drama. Very few of us have real visions. There are many people who have false visions or even psychotic visions. Uh, I remember Father Benedict Rochelle was talking about a man he knew who had a vision of the Blessed Mother in downtown New York every Saturday night. Um, well, then again, of course, he was drunk every Saturday night <laughs> and had that vision. Remember the woman, I mentioned this before, who came to Bishop Sheen in New York one day, and she said, Bishop Sheen, the Blessed Mother has appeared to me and has told me to come and tell you that you're supposed to go to Germany and convert Hitler. And Bishop Sheen said, ah, so you're the one. He said, well, she had appeared to me a little while ago and said she changed her mind, I'm not supposed to go. <laughs> uh, you and I don't have visions like that. But we, but we know what God's calling us to be. And times we may be confused. We may even object and complain about the course our life is taking. All God wants to do is you know, to embrace it, to embrace whatever he's calling us to be with all of its perfection and to do so immediately. We might say, can't it wait? No, it can't wait. It can't wait at all. It will, 
God's patience with us is really quite amazing. But it can't. The call is something we have to answer. Now, sometimes it will be over time because God will want to test us. And we won't be able to do what we want to do immediately. And we'll leave that to God's providence. So he then comes to us. But he comes to us in the same way, but through the eyes of faith, but an even more dramatic way. He comes to us, of course, in the incarnation, in his body and blood, all the time to call us to that perfection. Remember, the Eucharist isn't just a gift, it's a call. A call to perfection and the power of perfection. Uh, something that none of them at that time, except the Blessed Mother, had when she bore him in her womb. But you and I have it. So we are called in. Uh, however frightened we may be, the words that they are, John Paul II loved to say it, the, be not afraid, fear not. So we must overcome our fears then, particularly the fear of what the challenges may be and what the price of following the Lord is going to demand. But we will do it because we have the examples. Once again, once we cease to read the lives of the saints, we cease to have heroes. When we cease to have heroes, we cease to have visions ourselves. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you, rejoicing in the coming of your Son and trusting in your love and mercy. For the Church throughout the world, that her members will always be attentive to the call of God and to his grace working in their lives, we pray to the Lord. <laughs> for all nations of the world, especially our own and for our politicians, that they may know the will of God as sent to them through the prophets the Church uh, sends to them, we pray to the Lord. Lord for all those who are sick and suffering and dying, they may know the call in their suffering. For those who are greatly tempted, for those who have rejected the providence of God, we pray to the Lord. Lord for a greater respect for human life, and right now especially for life in the womb, and for laws that will protect it, we pray to the Lord. Lord for our increase in vocations to priesthood and the consecrated life, those young men and women who will have the spirit of the prophets, who will respond to the will of God as it is made known to them. For a greater reverence for God's providence in marriage and a single life, we pray to the Lord. Lord for our bishop, priests, deacons, and seminarians and for the American hierarchy, having spent time in the presence of the incarnate Lord, they may then be visible signs of his presence, visible signs of his coming, we pray to the Lord. For the souls of all the faithful departed, especially our relatives, friends, and benefactors, for all who have died in the battlefield, all victims of violence, terrorism, and natural disaster, the eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed. For all those who are traveling this weekend during these holidays, especially our own parishioners, that they may travel safely. We pray to the Lord. Lord and finally, for all of us here, we will receive the word made flesh as he comes to us. We will always respond to God's providence in our lives as we know it. We pray to the Lord. Lord we now join our prayers to those of the mother of the incarnation as she leads us to her son singing. 